Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. realize that they're, you know, the, the, the most anointed preaching that you will ever hear um, is in part to do with the anointing to preach, that Jesus actually said that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach. There is an anointing to preach, and when that anointing is operating, then we can actually hear More than just the voice of the preacher, we can hear the voice within the voice. We can hear what God is saying. But there's another level of what causes for us to hear, you know, in the phrase I'm using, the most anointed preaching, the most anointed sermon we've ever heard in our lives. And that has to do with anointed ears and anointed hearing. Jesus, whenever he would preach, I find it interesting he would do this at the end of his message, but he would preach to a multitude and then when he was done he would say, Now, the person who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. And what he was getting at was, you know, there's a need to actually partner with that anointing to preach. There's a need to partner with the revelation that is in the room. That we we need to pull on that with our faith and ask the Holy Spirit to help us hear what we need to hear. And one of the challenges that we can sometimes encounter if we've been walking with the Lord any length of time is that when we become familiar with Scripture, we become familiar with texts, you know, sometimes what can happen is we kind of know the end of the story or perhaps we've heard a sermon on a similar subject before. And so we can just kind of get into a mode of, yes, I, I, I agree, but more from the standpoint of, I agree like, I know this and I... And, Thanks for the reminder. And while that's important for truth to bring us into a reminder of the good things that we already know, it's important for us to also partner in faith and say, and Holy Spirit, you know, the center verse in the entire Bible, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your word. Teach me to hear your voice and teach me how to know what it is that you're saying. And so my prayer tonight is that God would help me as I preach to you, and that God would help you as you listen to me, that God would help us to hear what he wants to say tonight so that we can actually just grow in faith and knowledge and a closer relationship with the Lord. How many agree with that tonight? Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at Luke chapter 5, and then we're we're going to dig into this word. In a few moments, we're going to be praying, and I believe that tonight God wants to release gifts of physical healing here in this room in Jesus' name. And I believe that because I believe in God's Word. I believe that He's the same as He's ever been. And I believe that where there are people that are in need of a physical touch, we we serve a Savior who is not distant and far away or removed, but He's right here, close as the mention of His name. And as the Word is preached, faith is released. Amen? Amen. Luke chapter 5 says this, one day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. 
And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Just pause now. So this verse is setting up kind of a, an interesting uh, scene. If this was a movie scene, uh, you know, this is kind of a thick plot at this moment. And if we just kind of jump into a text, sometimes we don't necessarily just kind of slow down to take in the scenery. But the scenery in this text is pretty unique in that the Bible says that Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law from the entire surrounding area came to listen to Jesus preach. What we need to grasp is that if the Bible had a soundtrack, whenever we hear the term Pharisee, that's when the Darth Vader music starts playing. Okay, that, that's when the villain music starts playing because these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, these were people who were devoted to the Old Testament texts. These ones were students of the Bible as they knew it in that time. The, the Bible that we still know in our time from the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of the Old Testament known as the Torah, they committed those books to memory. These were people that were very committed to the Bible and very committed to people living right so as to honor God. They sound like the good guys. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but when you read the Old Testament, you can't find a Pharisee. There's no Pharisees in the Old Testament. We have, when we come to the end of the Old Testament, we have, we have a prophet named Malachi, or the Italians might say Malachi, right? We come to the, the, the last Old Testament prophet, and then before, before John the Baptist begins his ministry, there is a 400-year gap of silence to the people of God. There's no prophetic voice, and there, there's just, I mean, it's a long time where there's just, just silence from the heavens. And in that silent space emerged the Pharisees, the, the ones that started to add, you know, God gives Ten Commandments, and they thought, let's take it up a notch and add a few hundred more. Like these ones just wanted to add more rules and gain more control and try to get everybody to behave a certain way. There's a theologian by the name of Paul Houston. You might know him as Bono from the band U2. Bono said that religion is when God leaves the room and people make up rules to fill the space. And what we see in the gap between the Old and the New Testament is this space, this gap being filled by religion. People who on the surface are passionate for people to know the word and to live a life of reverence before God. But they started to add layer and layer upon law upon law until it was impossible for people to feel like they could please God at any level. That's why, and again, when we just kind of do a surface read of the New Testament, sometimes things skip past us. But it's interesting, if you stop and study the Word, in the New Testament, there are people who are identified as sinners. Like a class in society, just called sinners. Jesus was criticized because he reached out to sinners and he ate at their house and he spent time with sinners. Have you ever stopped and thought, how was there a class of people that just decided, we're just sinners? You know, here's middle class, lower class, upper class, 
sinners. How did you tick that one on your tax return? Yeah, I'm just a sinner. The reality is, is that people actually just started to identify as sinners because when they started to hear the Pharisees and the teachers of the law speaking about the Bible and about truth and about everything you had to do and you could only walk so far on a Sabbath and then you could only pet your dog, you know, this many times and you could, I mean, it was so many rules. There was finally a group of people that just hit the, the tap out button and said, that's it, I'm done. Just call me a sinner. I give up. I don't even want to go to synagogue. Religion will do that to people. It'll choke out their genuine pursuit of God is just, I don't even want to try anymore. And so when we're reading in Luke chapter 5, this first verse that we're looking at, there's kind of a, a little sandwich getting made here, is Jesus is teaching, and there are Pharisees and teachers of the law who have come from all the different cities in the area, and they've crowded into a house. Jesus is teaching at a Pharisee convention. Now, when we understand from the Gospels that teachers of the law and Pharisees weren't actually interested in learning from Jesus, but they were more interested in seeing if they could trip Jesus up with some sneaky questions, seeing if they could you know, stick a, 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 put a stick in his spokes and make him fall off his bicycle, make him say something dumb, see if we can get Jesus, trap him in something. Let's ask him some really weird questions. You know, the time they came and they asked him, hey, Jesus, there's this guy, and he has this wife, and they didn't have a kid, and then he dies, so his brother marries her, and then he dies before he gives her a kid, and then he, her brother comes, and then there were seven guys. Which one is she married to in heaven? <laughs> Jesus like, you guys... You guys, I love his answer. It's like, you guys are ignorant because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. And you're, you're just putting your finger right in the eye of these teachers of the law and Pharisees. Going, we don't know the scripture, excuse me, very much. And Jesus just would, would confront their religion. And so they didn't like it. They didn't like the way that Jesus did certain miracles. Because the way that Jesus would do miracles is, I believe, I, I sincerely believe that Jesus, many of the times, would go out of his way just to rub the religious people wrong. He'd just like add an element to a miracle just to just kind of, just, just kind of flick one in their eye. You know, like his first miracle, and he's at a wedding, and they've run out of wine, and so the people are like, you know, uh, they've run out of wine, and, and Jesus' mother comes, and she's like, they've run out of wine, and Jesus is like, why are you bothering me, Mom? And she doesn't even, she does what moms do. She doesn't even talk to him anymore. She looks at the servants and says, just do whatever he says. And what does Jesus tell them to do? Take the ceremonial, wash, ceremonial washing jars and fill them to the brim with water. So they do, which is what you do with ceremonial washing jars. But then he tells the guy to stick a ladle in there and draw it out and taste it. And it's filled with the most delicious wine that he had ever tasted in his life. Well, you know, if you're a Pharisee, you got a problem with people drinking out of a ceremonial washing jar. Of all the jugs Jesus could have picked, it was like, hey, we're going to kick this thing off right. Let's get the <laughs> ceremonial washing jars and just kind of kick the bee's nest and see what happens. <laughs> and so Jesus is teaching at a Pharisee convention. That means that Jesus 
is teaching uphill. That means that he is preaching to people who aren't trying to draw truth out of him. They're trying to expose any kind of flaw and see if they can find falsehood in him and expose him to shame. But this verse that we started with, verse 17, says that the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. He's teaching a bunch of Pharisees and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, here's the deal. If we just do a scant skim of the surface reading, we can just go, yeah, the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. It's Jesus. The power of the Lord was always present for him to heal the sick. Cool answer, except for then why does the Bible say it? Why is the Bible pointing out something like, it's not like, it, it's not like Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he's saying, Jesus is teaching at a Pharisee convention and the sky is blue. He's saying Jesus is teaching at a Pharisee convention and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. That means, I believe, that there are times when we sit in the presence of the Lord and there's more available than what we currently are experiencing. That there's actually special access, a special opening that is there, but it's not yet being laid hold of. Now, if this was a Tuesday night, I don't know if anything happens here on a Tuesday night, but let's just pretend nothing happens here on a Tuesday night. Does anything happen on Tuesday nights? Basketball? Okay, so not in here. So if this was a Tuesday night, and you came here at the same time on Tuesday night, you'd walk into this room, and it would be pitch black. Why? Because we wouldn't have the lights on. No need to have the lights on. Nobody's in here. If you could picture this room in pitch darkness, the, the idea of saying that the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick, it's like saying they were all sitting in the dark because no one had turned the switch on yet. There was more available, but it wasn't operating. Jesus was in teaching mode, but there was healing in the atmosphere. Now, I want you to put yourself into the story, and I want you to put yourself in a context where you've really known the presence of the Lord, even as we sense and recognize the presence of the Lord in this place tonight as we worship, and just the sweetness of the culture of this house to honor the presence of the Lord, that when we gather, there's a strong sense of God's presence as we come together in this place. I want you to think of a time where you've really felt just a drawing near and the weight of God's presence in your life. In that atmosphere, it's as though you can feel there's more possibility in the room. You can feel God's close. You can feel there are possibilities available. Jesus is teaching. There's Pharisees that have filled the house and the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. Luke noticed it. The atmosphere was pregnant with healing anointing, but Jesus is just teaching. And perhaps people might be playing it a little bit safe because the Pharisees are sitting there with their notepads, notepads ready to write out infractions. You know, always writing people up like, like a hall monitor for life. Just watching you walk down the street and say, <clears throat> excuse me, are, are you wearing polyester mixed with cotton? Because that's forbidden in the law. 
So I'm just going to have to write you up. That's an R217, and that is a $50 violation. See you in synagogue, and we'll sort that out later. Uh, yeah, excuse me, Ed. I noticed we haven't seen you in synagogue lately. Uh, that's an infraction. Uh, your sideburns are not long and curly enough. Infraction. <laughs> and so people are kind of not feeling comfortable. But the power of the Lord is present. The power of the Lord is present. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Okay, so picture this. Jesus is in a Pharisee's house. It's filled with Pharisees and teachers of the law. He's teaching them. People are curious not because they want to learn, but because they want to try to find a flaw. And in that atmosphere, the anointing is still resident in Jesus. There's this, this faith and this atmosphere that comes with him wherever he goes. And there's possibility, but the Pharisees are crowding the house out. And so these four friends, they pick up their friend. At least we assume from the text that they picked up a friend. Maybe they just saw a paralyzed guy and were like, let's carry this guy somewhere. But I'm assuming it's their friend. Okay? So they have a burden for their friend. And they want to get him to the Jesus meeting because the testimony of what Jesus can do has reached their ears. They've heard of how Jesus is healing people everywhere he goes. People that are demon-possessed are getting free. People that are blind, their eyes are opening. The miracle testimonies are stunning. And the power of the Lord is present to heal the sick. Everyone's sitting in a dark room, but someone needs to flick the switch. And four friends say to themselves, we're taking our pal, let's say his name's Kevin. We're taking Kevin to the Jesus service, and we're going to get him in there to get healed. And they show up, they're in the right place at the right time but there's some Pharisees and teachers of the law who are clogging the halls and I can just imagine they're not the most accommodating four friends carrying Kevin on a mat and they come to the back door and they're like excuse us we're just be quiet we are in a session right now Robert's rules of order indicates that you need to wait your turn just sit at the back These guys. So they go to the side door. Ah, oh, pardon me. We just wanted to see if we could get in and touch Jesus. Yeah, did you get your did you pay your registration for the convention? Didn't think so. Back of the line. These guys look at the windows, and everybody's just kind of standing in front of the window awkwardly, like, no, you can't see. They're not being welcomed into the place where the power of the Lord is present to heal the sick. And so these four friends stopped and considered their options. Now, one of their options might have been kind of what I would call the Canadian option. Their option might have been to just be like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. We'll just wait here until after the service and try to get Jesus' attention. Maybe we could just talk to him after. They could have tried uh, maybe writing a note. Hey, Jesus, it's you know, Larry Curley and Mo. We're here with Kevin. 
and we sense that your power is, is available to heal the sick, do you mind just pausing the service? They could have sent a note. They could have waited till the end. But these four friends talked amongst themselves and said, okay, Jesus is teaching. Pharisees all around. The power of the Lord is present. Can you feel it? I can feel it. I feel like now's the moment, don't you? Yeah, I feel like now's the moment. So what do you want to do? I got an idea. Let's climb on the roof, rip a hole in it, and we'll just lower Kevin down through it. <laughs> Kevin's laying there like, I don't know if this is a good idea, guys. <laughs> They're like, Kevin, you're already paralyzed. What's the worst that's going to happen? You know, <laughs> that's not funny. Okay, so... I mean, if you're going to take a risk, do it in front of Jesus, right? <laughs> These guys contemplated several felonies <laughs> at a Pharisee's house, nonetheless. Not the most flexible guy to be like, I totally understand, guys. I couldn't wait until later either. I mean, you got a Pharisee who's like pointing out, excuse me, did you put a smudge on my table? And these guys decide, we're going to go on the roof, rip a hole in it, and we'll just lower good old Kev right down in front of Jesus. Now, you got to picture this. Jesus is no slouch of a teacher. People are in rapt attention. And in between the Pharisees, there's probably a few Marys and Marthas that have just kind of squeaked in between making sandwiches, taking it in, listening to this, the, the living word speak and teach. And while Jesus is teaching, a little bit of drywall dust just starts to fall. <laughs> and everyone's like, I don't know what that is. You know, they're at Simon the Pharisee. So it's like, I think Simon might have rats, you know. And, just, <laughs> and the dust keeps falling and Jesus keeps teaching. And suddenly a leg just falls down, you know. <laughs> and another leg. And Jesus keeps on teaching until... Kevin comes on right down, right in front of him. Hey there. <laughs> Verse 20 says, When Jesus saw the destruction of property, <laughs> now it says, When Jesus saw the look on the homeowner's face, No, when Jesus saw that he was losing control of the service. Now it says, when Jesus saw their faith. Wow. Faith is invisible. But they did something that put it right out there that Jesus could see it. You know, we love to talk about having some divine interruptions. We need some divine interruptions in church. I'd like to propose to you. This is not a divine interruption. This is four guys with a half-baked idea. The Bible does not tell us that as Larry Curley and Mo were praying, that they heard from God, go rip a hole in the roof, I'll pay for the bill. They had an idea, and they acted on it. 
they cut through the crowd and they cut through the noise and they cut through the criticism and they cut through that life-sucking, just choking off the faith and the possibility in the room. They cut past it all and they're like, we're not going to wait till the end of the service. We're not going to pass a note. We're not. We're going now. The power of the Lord is present to heal. Now, now is the moment and they tear a hole through the roof and they lower Kevin on down through there and when Jesus saw their faith, he said, now get ready because we're at a Pharisee convention. Jesus sees their faith and also probably recognizes these guys have really stepped in it now. At a Pharisee's house, Pharisee convention, ripping a hole through the roof. This could really kind of go level 12 right now. So Jesus takes it up a notch and throws away the knob. He looks at Kevin and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Jewish rabbi says, what? <laughs> Did he just say that he personally forgives him of his sins? What? I'm about to light myself on fire with righteous indignation right now. I forgive you of all your sins. Now, before we give the Pharisees too hard of a time, even today, we kind of tend to think that people need to repent in order to be forgiven. Kevin's just kind of swinging from the roof. He's like, wasn't my idea, but I couldn't do anything to make him stop. And, then, and Jesus looks at him. Friend, I forgive you of your sins. That's an, uh, an arresting statement in a Pharisee convention. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. Let me propose to you that this is Jesus as a, in nature, God, operating as an anointed man, receiving prophetic revelation. He knows their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. And he grabs the moment. Because these thoughts, this is perhaps the easiest show and tell gospel message in the entire New Testament. And Jesus wants to grab the moment because the Holy Spirit's revealing to him the thoughts of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He knew what they were thinking and he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And for a second they're probably like, what things? What am I thinking of now? Can you see what I'm, how many fingers am I holding behind my back? Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has on authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, 
took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen remarkable things today. Now that is probably an understatement. I don't know if I was in that service. I don't know if my diary entry would have been, I saw remarkable things today. I think I would have been like, wow! But Jesus grabs the argument in the room. There's arguments that surface when faith is activated and people step out in faith. Criticisms. It's always the way we see it. Someone worships radically. There's always a Michal standing in the window saying, you look dumb dancing around in a linen ephod. There's always somebody criticizing, oh, he's going on his knees right now because he's trying to look more spiritual than the rest of us. There's always someone trying to think that they can know what your intention and your thought is. And Jesus steps right into the middle of the religious criticism of four friends who admittedly broke a couple of laws and destroyed some property, but Jesus saw it as faith. And he speaks forgiveness instead of healing first. And the argument that surfaces in the room is, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is like, hey, I know you're thinking that. Now hold that thought. Great question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Great. Now, seeing as I've just said, I forgive you of your sins, I suppose I could use this moment to show you that I actually have the authority to do it because I can say I forgive you as easily as I say I heal you. But I just want you to know I have the authority to forgive. So, hey, Kev, pick up your mat and walk out of here. Kevin's laying there going, me? I, I can't, I can't pick up my, these things work. <laughs> Kevin's walking out the back. You know, the guys that wouldn't let him in, he kind of accidentally hits him with his mat on the way by. <laughs> See you later, guys. Enjoy your convention. <laughs> but so that you might know that forgiveness and healing is contained within the authority that I walk in. And we might say, well, how could Jesus forgive when he hadn't even been to the cross yet? I'd like to propose to you, it's the same as if you go out to, you know, Swish Alley for lunch. Swish Alley is different than McDonald's. McDonald's, if you want to eat, you got to give them the money first because they're not sure you're good for it. All kinds of riffraff at McDonald's. But when we go up a classy notch to Swiss Chalet, and they're handing out the Lindor balls at Christmas, they have a little bit of trust in you, and they let you eat it first. And then they slip you the bill, and you pay it on the way out the door. You know what Jesus was saying to that whole crowd? Listen, I've got the authority now, but I'm going to pay this bill on my way out. You're forgiven of your sins because I carry it resident within me. The righteous blood's flowing now. And in that message, he connects the dots for the religious critics. Because what can we say? If he said, I forgive you of your sins, we can't see that exchange. But we can definitely see a paralyzed man is now walking. Could it be that his sins are forgiven too? Well, certainly it was. We know that 
Jesus carries that kind of authority. Tonight, I believe that that authority and that healing anointing is still available. I believe that God is still healing broken bodies. I've had the privilege over the last few years of being able to travel on a ministry team with a man by the name of Randy Clark who has a profound healing ministry and receive impartation from him and and he's been to our church twice and traveled with him to Brazil twice which is a beautiful nation and they have really good barbecue. It's a wonderful revival climate in that nation as they're just seeking the Lord. And I've had the privilege in traveling as part of his ministry team to be able to preach in a couple of churches in Brazil. And One night I got picked up by a Brazilian man who, who was taking me to the church that I was preaching at. And, and he introduced himself as Marcio. And I gathered pretty quick in that car ride that all he knew how to say was, my name is Marcio. And it was just kind of like we were smiling at each other and pointing at things. Ah, trees, <laughs> yes. And so we made our way to the church, and there was a translator there for me, and I preached on healing, and then called people forward for healing. People were getting healed. I just want to share a couple testimonies with you, because I actually believe that testimonies build faith. That when we, when we read the Gospels, what are the Gospels other than a record of testimony? You know, we read the Gospels, and we hear about a, a, a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. How do we know his name's Bartimaeus? Because someone who was writing it down went and did an interview and said, okay, what's your name? Where are you from? How long were you blind? What happened? I was calling out. They told me to be quiet. I yelled all the louder. Jesus brought me to the front of the class. I got healed. Yes. Okay. We hear this story in Luke chapter 5. We don't know his name, but it probably was Kevin. I think I'm operating in Revelation right there. Not really. But there's <laughs> we hear the story of one who was paralyzed and lowered in front of Jesus and Jesus spoke forgiveness and healing on him. And he came carried by his four friends. And he walked out carrying his own mat. Those testimonies build faith. We come to the end of this service. And Marcio, my driver, comes up. And he says through translation that he had a car accident a couple years earlier. I was like, wow, and you're my driver. Great. <laughs> and <laughs> and he, he opened his shirt and he showed me he had a... He had surgery on his shoulder and his elbow. He had a metal elbow put in. And his elbow, you could actually hear it kind of clink when it got right to about here. He couldn't straighten his arm out. And metal in there, so it was like kind of that's as far as it goes. And he asked me to pray for him because he was in pain with it and he was annoyed by it. And so I prayed for him. I was like, God, touch Marcio and just give him full mobility and take the pain away from this. And he showed me how far it could go. And after we were done praying, just a simple prayer, he, he moved his arm, and it went full extension all the way, and his eyes popped as big as saucers. Glory of the damn. He's praising God. Then he says to me, he pulls up his pant leg, and <laughs> going for knee surgery, he says. <laughs> we prayed for his knee. God healed his knee right there in real time, watching someone experiencing the healing power of Jesus. I mean, you never forget it. You just see God moving. We were ministering as part of Randy's ministry team, and, and we were, you know, night after night in different, you know, different churches and stadiums. And, and this one night, 
was just, you know, again, this incredible atmosphere of faith. A woman came forward to get healing for her leg, but first she got delivered uh, of demons. and They got totally set free. And, and then I love this one because she comes up asking us to pray for her leg. She's got a cane. And as we're praying, we sense there was more going on. And just took authority over some stuff in her life. And she's like, thanks for praying. She walked away carrying her cane. We didn't even pray for her leg. It was amazing. Later at the end of that night, we had been praying for a bunch of people and this lady came up as I was walking out and she asked me to pray for her because her, her back, her lower back was just, you know, incredible pain and she wasn't able to bend over without pain. She's experiencing sciatic pain in her back. And so I, you know, I was just full of faith. It was just like, man, I just everyone I'm praying for here, just this atmosphere is just people are getting healed. So I was like, yeah, let me pray for you. And so I prayed for her quick. And then I was like, okay, just bend over and see how it feels. And she kind of bends about this. Far. I was like, oh. And, oh. and so I was like, well, let's pray again. You know, even Jesus had to pray twice. Remember Jesus prayed for a blind guy and was like, what do you see? And he's like, people look like trees. He's like, let's pray again, right? <laughs> so <laughs> if Jesus had to pray twice, I'm just going to take a load off and I'll pray as many times as it takes, right? So I prayed for her again. And I was like, try bending over again. And she's like, and so I was like, okay, let's, let's try one more time. And in my mind, while I'm praying for her, I'm preparing to let God off the hook. You know? In my mind, I'm praying, and I'm just like, you know, kind of praying a prayer, and then kind of waiting for her to, and I'm just thinking of how, just like, well, you know, bless you for your faith, and God's got his hand on you, and, you know, see you next time, you know. And I pray for her that third time. I was like, well, try bending one more time. And she goes, Glory to Deus. That's what everybody says, right? Glory to God. And she just, she, she got full mobility right there. And I was like, wow, God. You know, here I was thinking this isn't working. And then just by pressing that little bit more, it's amazing that when we look at the Gospels, many times, even like the story we just looked at in Luke chapter 5, many times when Jesus would pray for people, pray for the sick, or lay his hands on sick people, Often where we see the manifestation of the miracle was when Jesus would tell them to do something that they couldn't do. To say to a paralyzed man, take up your mat and walk. It's not like Kevin's just laying there going, oh, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Right? He couldn't do it. But Jesus spoke and then there's this partnership of faith. You're telling me to step out in faith, I'm going to do it. You know, when Jesus told the blind man that he healed, go rinse in the pool of Siloam. And as he's on his way, he gets healed. Moving out, stepping out in faith. Says to the man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand. And as he stretches it out, it becomes whole. Jesus asking those to do what they previously could not do, releases faith. And so I want to share those testimonies tonight because I want you to know that, like I said this morning, Scripture... Although these stories to us are 2,000 years old from the standpoint of time, because God is omnipresent and everywhere all the time, God is as much in that story of Luke chapter 5 as He is in this moment with us here tonight. It's not an old story to Him. And so that testimony of Scripture prophesies possibility to us. If Jesus could speak forgiveness and healing onto a paralyzed man whose friends cut a hole in the roof and let him in, could our radical faith be releasing something that God wants to do? Could the power of the Lord be present to heal, but somebody just needs to rip a hole in the roof, so to speak? Not really, Pastor Chad get upset, but I'm saying, take a radical step of faith and believe God. Lord, you could do that in me tonight. The Apostle Paul teaches on gifts 
of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says this. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He determines. And this is how good God is. God loves you so much, He doesn't give you everything you want and need all by yourself. But what He does is He distributes gifts into the people around you in the body of Christ. God loves you too much to make you a self-sufficient little island. God had Adam all to Himself at the beginning. And the first time God said something wasn't good was when He looked at Adam walking around all by Himself. God was like, I love hanging out with you at the cool of the day. But you need a girlfriend. <laughs> you need a family. You need friends. You need a community. God distributes the gifts of His Holy Spirit through the body of Christ so that we can find community and spiritual growth and the breakthrough that you need. Sometimes God doesn't put the gift that you need in you. He puts it in the person sitting three rows behind you to the left. And that person carries the gift of faith or carries that anointing that you're needing so that we come together and learn how to walk in humility. That it's not that I'm all that in a bag of chips. I'm just available to God and I want to be used by God. Jesus on switch for ministry throughout the Gospels was compassion. And when we minister in love, we can see the gifts of the Holy Spirit activated in the body of Christ. Now, I believe these gifts of the Holy Spirit cooperate with one another. What I mean is that a word of knowledge, for example, a word of knowledge is when someone speaks with a level of detail about something going on in your life that, that they could not otherwise know unless God revealed it to them. And again, this just demands that the gifts of the Spirit operate in a body or in a spiritual family because it's impossible for you to give yourself a word of knowledge. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, my middle name's James. My middle name is James. <laughs> this guy's good. The reality is, is God releases a word of knowledge, and particularly as it pertains to healing, the word of knowledge can release the gift of faith, especially if that word of knowledge is to any degree specific. And what I mean is that when a word of knowledge is released about, say, a physical pain that you had. Let's say yesterday you slammed your thumb in the door of your van. And so that really hurt. And you're wondering if it's broken and your hand's swollen, but you're just trying to tough it out. But it really hurts. And someone stood and said, I just see someone here, uh, you know, has a really sore left thumb. I feel like maybe they slammed it in the car door or something like that. That level of knowledge about you and your need releases into you a gift of faith. Hey, God knows about me. And then that gift of faith, in turn, releases a gift of healing. Because if God pointed out that He knows my need and that stirred faith in me, then He also wants to heal me. Does that make sense? That the word of knowledge can release the gift of faith, which can release the gift of healing. And all it is is just a partnership between us and God. 
Words of knowledge indicate that God knows you and is identifying you in your need. And he wants to heal and touch you. And here's the deal. I believe that when Jesus taught for us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That kind of praying really makes it easy for us to know how to pray. Because sometimes, you know, we wrestle with, you know, what is the will of God? Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that the will of God is manifest in two dimensions. There's the will of God that we would describe as God's omnipotent knowledge, His omniscience, that God knows everything. If God didn't know everything, if you could surprise God, He wouldn't be God. Okay? So we often describe God's will as what God already knows about. But when Jesus is teaching us to pray for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven... Some of us will lose gas to pray. We'll lose the fuel to keep moving forward in prayer. If we thought what Jesus is asking us to do is just say, Hey God, all that stuff that you're already going to do, go ahead and do it. That's not what he's asking us to pray. We're not praying into what God already knows. Will is also manifest in desire. God, what are the things that you desire to happen on earth? And when we look at the will of God, as Jesus taught us to pray, through the lens of desire, then we can simply kind of filter things through the lens of, is what I'm praying for to happen, is this what's happening in heaven? Does someone have this illness in heaven? No. Then I'm going to pray for that healing to be manifest here on earth. But I prayed 47 times. But this is the thing. When we just persist in prayer and faith. And listen, just focus on what God can do with God, without getting caught up on the, oh, uh, you know, I don't want to obligate, whatever. I just want to align myself faithfully to His desire to heal. I believe it's always God's desire to heal people. I just, I just really believe that it's always His desire to heal. Is there an amen for that? I believe it's always His desire to heal. I don't ever see, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You never see Jesus walk by somebody and be like, yeah, I'm not going to heal you. God's teaching you a lesson. And so I just want to stir faith tonight that God wants to heal. I believe that God wants to heal. If we can get everybody to come over to this side, okay? Everyone just work your way over here. And if, if you're smart, you'll do it right now while I'm saying it and get to the head of the line, okay? And what you're going to do is we're just going to worship and we're going to pray. And everyone gets to go through at least once. Make sure you don't cut in line. But if you want to go through a couple times, you're going to get prayed for many times tonight. And we're believing God for healing. Maybe things that weren't named by the words of knowledge tonight. There's healing anointing flying tonight, flowing tonight, and flying. There's, there's just a grace that God's releasing in this room. Fullness of the Holy Spirit. Fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just God is here to meet and touch us tonight. And so we're going to pray. And so go ahead. We're just going to walk through here. And just prayer team, just lay your hands on them as they're walking through. Speak words of life. Life, and we're just going to believe God for a powerful encounter and just signing off this Holy Spirit weekend filled with faith in Jesus name in Jesus name thank you Lord thanks for checking out this week's message Bethel Church Podcast we hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's messages